two movies uh, that I've watched over the years, the one, uh, term The Terminal and, and Love Actually, uh, made me realize anew how exciting, interesting, and disappointing an airport can be. In Love Actually, there's a beautiful scene how people wait with anticipation the arrival of a friend or a colleague or a loved husband, wife, uh, grandchild, grandfather, and they embrace one another, and, and love is all around. And then there are also uh, the disappointing end of, of an airport. Sometimes people wait for people and they don't arrive. Where are they? Where is she? Where is he? And sometimes you also hear that your, your uh, plane has been delayed and you have to wait for another hour or another one or another one or another one. You cannot leave. You, you have, you're stuck where you are. Uh, or you can, like Tom Hanks in the terminal here, that you're not allowed to enter the country because while you were in the plane, your country disappeared. It's not a country anymore. Your passport is invalid. You've planned everything carefully to see something, but you have to wait now until this has been sorted out. I sometimes think that our prayer life is almost like an airport. Sometimes things are on time. The arrivals, the departures. Life goes on. Things work out. Our children arrive safely at places. The schedule of our departure and arrival of life is actually running very smoothly. And then there are other days, the delays, the wait. You have to make difficult decisions, but somehow you don't hear anything from God. Martin Luther said that there is no greater disaster in our lives than when God is silent. To wait patiently on God having to answer. That is a real challenge. One of my friends said he cannot even wait for a plane on the airport. Left alone waiting for God to answer his prayers. But this despair is not sin. We see it very often in the book of the Psalms when people pray and pray and pray but there's silence. Psalm 13 for instance says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer 
Lord, my God. It's not easy to be asking and asking, but nothing happens. Daniel Simonson said, sometimes we want an answer to our suffering, but we don't get it. And sometimes the challenge is to live without an answer. Maybe you will say when you read the, the prayer of Solomon and after we've said what we said last Sunday, that Solomon doesn't really have this problem. He stood before the Lord, the generous God, who said, ask whatever you want me to give you. He is surprisingly generous, we said last Sunday. And especially if we look in the context of this generosity in the Bible, it is even more surprising that God is so good to answer our prayers. Years ago, uh, there was an adver advertisement uh, by the well-known Toyota. And it was this story about a man who woke up in the morning and the moment he opened his eyes, everything went wrong. Everything. He spilled coffee over his clothes. And when he wanted to go to work, the mechanism opening his electric gate blew up. And then Toyota said, everything keeps going right because at least his car worked. Some say that Toyota illustrated their journey of faith. Everything goes wrong. But somehow we trust that God will answer the prayers. There's something that didn't go wrong. And that at least is God. But we know the frustration. We know that the frustration is sometimes massive. Our marriage is not what it should be. Things at work are terrible. Our health is not great. We try our best, but it's never good enough. We fail. And then we begin to look for reasons. We wonder, is, is there something wrong in my own life? Am I the stumbling block? Is there something in my past that prevents God from answering? It is in this situation that there is something in this prayer that we should grasp. And if we grasp this, we will begin to pray with much more confidence. We will begin to pray much more. This is something that Solomon mentions in this prayer. After God, the generous God, stood before him and said, Ask, and I will give what you want. Solomon immediately replied with the following words. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. 
You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. The NIV has a very bad translation here and, and uh, commentators agree that the, the word chesed in Hebrew can never be, be so weakly translated. It is about God's faithfulness, his loving kindness. Solomon could certainly have made a long list of things immediately to say, God, thank you for asking. I've got a few things that I want to say, but he does not. The first thing he says is, Lord, I want you to know that I understand your faithfulness. So what is this faithfulness? Perhaps Solomon thought that, that David saw that God was faithful because he gave him a son to sit on his throne. And, and within the context, it sounds that that is the case. It's no coincidence that Solomon is now the king. God was there. God's faithfulness made him king. But this is not the full picture. You see, before he refers to God's faithfulness by giving him a son, he first refers to God's faithfulness in David's life. You have shown great kindness or faithfulness to your servant, my father, David. God was faithful long before Solomon was there. What would you have thought about God's faithfulness in the life of your father, David? If I were Solomon, I would have thought about a few things. I want to mention two this morning. The first is the day that my father was anointed as king. We can assume that David sat down with Solomon and told him that amazing story that day when he was out in the field looking after the sheep and how strange it was that he was called in and suddenly as a young boy anointed with oil and then declared the king of Israel. Can you remember that scene in Samuel, 1 Samuel? When the boys came one by one by one because Samuel was looking for a king. When they arrived, we, we read, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see how many times the word look we find there? See, look, 
repeated all the time. It is deliberately written in this way to make a point. What do people see? What does God see? And this is a clear allusion to the former king, Saul. This man was impressive, we read. He was attractive. He stood head and shoulders above others. When Saul was anointed, anointed, there was no element of surprise. It was the right choice in the eyes of the people. But David was the unexpected one. The Lord makes an ordinary shepherd a king. It goes in against all human calculations. God's faithfulness, you see, does not depend on human qualities. How impressive we are. He uses people that we would not have used. And David is not the only one who would have chosen Moses to lead people out of Egypt. Who would have chosen Jeremiah, a young boy, with such an important message to the people? Not us. Who would have chosen Saul? the persecutor of the church. Not us. Who would have chosen those 12 disciples of Jesus? Not us. But God does. Not our judgments on who is fit for the job, but God's choice is decisive. This is the faithfulness of God. But secondly, I would have thought about God's faithfulness in spite of the failures of my father. <coughs> yes, Solomon refers to the faithfulness of David in this passage. And, and the Lord also refers to it, that he followed his decrees. But we know that there were a lot of hiccups in the life of David's. David, not only hiccups, massive things that went wrong. In the tradition of the church, David and Peter are examples from the Old and the New Testament of people who have really caused massive disappointment for God. One of the church's confessions reads the fol as, as follows. Witness the sad cases described in Scripture of David, Peter, and other saints falling into sins. By such monstrous sins, however, they greatly offend God, deserve the sentence of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound the conscience, and sometimes lose the awareness of grace for a time. This is how serious the sin of David was. The most mentioned sin, of course, of David is his sin against Bathsheba. And that violence that followed against the family of Uriah 
led Nathan to have a sentence against David. You are the man that you despise. And led him to read, uh, to, to, to write Psalm 51. But remember one thing. Solomon was Bathsheba's son. He knew the story. I was born because of the tricks and sins of my father. And of course that was not the only sin that David committed. He caused major problems according to 1 Chronicles 21. Having a census. The writers of Chronicles say that David was incited by Satan to do it. And with the rebellion of Absalom, his son, Absalom died. And the people brought Shimei to David and said he must be killed because he cursed David in the field. And then the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him it with an oath. A few, day, a few chapters later, we read that David is on his deathbed. And there was Solomon by his side. And he gave him some instructions just before he died. And listen to the last words that he gave to Solomon. And remember, you have with you Shimei, who called down bitter curses on me. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. This is David, my father. The man after God's own heart. Lord, you were faithful to that man. Maybe Solomon was so overwhelmed by what he knew of the faithfulness of God in spite of his father's failures that he began to say before he prayed his prayer, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful in everything. The failures of David and his disobedience couldn't eliminate the faithfulness of God. God is faithful when we least expect or deserve it. There was a well-known preacher who thought about this whole idea that Solomon would say, you have shown great kindness or faithfulness to your ser servant, my father David. You would continue to show your faithfulness even by giving him a son who can sit on his throne this day. And he used, maybe you've, you've seen this, a 20, I say pound, he used dollar, bill. And, and he spoke to about 200 people and said, who would like this? And everybody raised their hands and said, we, we would like that. 
And then he said, oh, well, I first have to do something. So he's, he crumpled the money with his hand. And he said, who wants this? And everybody still wanted it. And then he took it and he trampled on it. And he picked it up and he said, who wants it? And everybody still wanted it. I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter what happened in your life. It doesn't matter how your life went wrong. God still wants you. He is faithful. If he could be faithful to David, to Peter, and to many others who have fallen into sin, he's faithful to you. That can never be a stumbling block in your prayers, in your life of prayer. In Samuel Beckett's play, Waiting for Godot, through two tramps, Didi, Vladimir, and, and Gogo, which is Estragon, they, they sat on the stage and they had these boring, boring conversations. And at the end of each part of the play, a young man comes onto the stage with the words, Unfortunately, Mr. Godot could not come today. He will come tomorrow. And at the end of the play, when the curtain falls for the last time, we still hear the words, Mr. Godot will come tomorrow. That's not true of God. Whatever your name, whatever your circumstances today, whatever your position or status, there is only one motivation, just one reason that gives us the courage to pray. In joy and grief, heights and depths, in prosperity and adversity, good or bad times, God's faithfulness. If you look at the world without these glasses of God, of his faithfulness, there is only one option, that's despair. But when you look through the lens of God's faithfulness, things look different. There's a different reality. Then you assess your shortcomings and your failures in a different way. Then you know that it is not the creation of your own failures that has the last say. Between this, the brush strokes of the paintbrush of your failures, you see the art of God's faithfulness unfolding in your life. Listen to what John says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can also change the words. This is faithfulness. Not that we were faithful to God, but that he was faithful to us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God's faithfulness opened up the door to the future for all of us. And Jesus is the yes to all God's promises, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1. And the Spirit of God blows like cool air into our stuffy existence. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that God will fulfill all His promises that He made. These are not just a few loose words from the Bible. These are the, the primary tasks of the Holy Spirit to assure us, to give us that guarantee that God will not go back on His word. God will not forsake us. God will not fail us as people do. God is faithful. Solomon's prayer gives us hope because God is faithful. There's a story of this sole survivor of a ship disaster and he was washed up on a small uninhabited island almost like Tom Hanks in that, that other movie. He earnestly prayed that, that God would save him. And each day he stared on the horizon and there was absolutely no help in sight. He'd been very tired, so he, he used some of the driftwood and built himself a, a small cabin. And one day he was out to look for food. And when he came back, he found this cabin, this last little resort on fire. He was almost beside himself with grief and anger. The worst thing that could have happened. Everything he had, everything was gone. His strength was gone. And he shouted heavenwards, God, how could you do this to me? And early the next morning he was awakened by the noise of a boat. He said, well, how did you know I was here? They said, we saw your smoke sign, the signal. And we came and helped you. The seasons of our emotions, our pain, our joy, our sadness, our happiness, our discouragement and enthusiasm cannot change this one truth. God is faithful. It is tied up with the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, Solomon said, you have shown great kindness to your servant, David. Lord, you are faithful. That's why I am here. That is why I pray. It is the heading of the prayer of Solomon. But it should be the heading of each prayer that we pray. God, you're trustworthy. 
It is what holds our life together. It should be the heading of our lives. Without God's faithfulness, there is no purpose. Let's pray together. Lord, you are faithful. I've come to rest because you love ordinary people like us. You choose the smallest, most insignificant, sinful people. You unexpectedly pardoned, limitless, unconditional, until death. Therefore, I pray to you with confidence, because your faithfulness overwhelmed me. Because your faithfulness is firm in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus the faithful. Carry me by your faithfulness. When the task is huge. When my sin disturbs your plan for my life. When I have to wait long for an answer. Spirit of faithfulness. Carry me through life through uncertainty, through doubt, through despair. Make my eyes brighter so I will see clearly that there is no end to your faithfulness and will not become used to despair and a future without hope, but will serve you and love you with seal and love until death. In Jesus' name, amen.